Has anyone seen Rings of Power or begun watching Rings of Power? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Most expensive TV series ever made, um, right? And many of you know it's a prequel to Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Um, part of it, at least, based on Silmarillion, uh, Tolkien's um, takes place long before Lord of the Rings. Um, if you are at all acquainted with Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, you, you know that it's an epic story about lots of different races of people. That's Tolkien's language. Dwarves, elves, humans, hobbits. In the new series, the Harfoots, who are the ancestors of, of, uh, of hobbits, coming together and not being ashamed of this great, like, cosmic call to embrace hardship, to endure suffering for this great good, right, which is basically the salvation of the world, the welfare and the good of uh, the world. Something like that is going on in our scriptures today, in, in actually most of the scriptures today, I, I would argue. In Naomi and Ruth, or, or the book of Ruth, but the story of Naomi and, and Ruth, we hear, we're, we're not going to have any more from Ruth, unfortunately, in the lectionary, but we have this poignant and beautiful passage from the first chapter. Um, like the Hobbit story, like the gospel story, Naomi is a Jewish woman, and Ruth is not. Ruth is a Gentile woman who married one of Naomi's sons. It's a story of bereavement, a story of loss, a story of hardship and famine um, and not knowing what to do. And, and you heard, I mean, that beautiful classic line when, when Ruth says, no, you know, I'm not going to turn away from you. You're, and even like she enters into the, like the Jewish faith, your God will be my God. And that story, if you know the Ruth story, I'm going to give away the end, um, Ruth ends up having a child who is King David's grandfather. And so Ruth is like an ancestor of Jesus Christ, actually. She's a part of this grand epic uh, story for the salvation and healing of the world, embracing suffering and hardship along the way. Um, a, li a little bit like that with Jesus and the story of the healing or cleansing of the 10 lepers. Jesus is, says, like, going between Galilee and Samaria. I have no idea what that means, like, going between these two regions. Uh, but he was close enough to Samaria What's a good Jewish rabbi guy um, being there? And he cleanses these 10. Only one comes back. And only one hears the word from Jesus, your faith has saved you. That's the language there. Your faith has made you well. Your faith, Samaritan, has saved you. 
He received this love and blessing and touch from Jesus. And he goes back to Samaria to share the good news about Jesus. And then Paul and Timothy. Uh, by the way, you know, so Samaritans were not Jews. They were like partially Jews and like really despised. In some ways, like on par with Gentiles. Okay, so then Paul and Timothy. And Paul, a good Jewish rabbi, trained, schooled, um, and Timothy. Now, there's discussion about Timothy. Was Timothy a Jew or was Timothy a Gentile? Some would say yes. <laughs> his mother was Jewish. His father was a Greek, and he was not circumcised until he was an adult. And that this is controversial. I'll leave it for another day. Until he was an adult, like going on mission with Paul. But... He wasn't fully Jewish, and he also wasn't from, like, over where Paul was from. He was from Asia Minor. From, that's where he grew up, over there. So culturally different, um, arguably ethnically, racially somewhat different. But the, the big message, like just reading through 2 Timothy, I have the same sort of feel. Like, Paul is trying to pour into Timothy strength and courage, and endurance for this grand, epic story and calling for the healing and salvation of the world. I mean, that the heart of it, well, so, I mean, let, let's, I'm going to quickly go back to um, just chapter one, which we heard last week, which Robert preached on and touched on some really great things in there, but I, I want to just remind us, you know, after... Paul says to Timothy in chapter 1, like, um, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Like, what is worth giving your life to? What is grand enough, big enough, important enough to suffer for, to endure for. That's what he's saying to him. And then a few verses later, um, he reiterates it like with his story, trying to inspire Timothy who is, with whom he's very close. And he, he says about the gospel, this is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know who I believe in. Then, as he closes out chapter 1, he says in verse um, 15, you're aware that everyone in Asia turned away from me. This is part of Paul's passion. Like, people are abandoning the work, abandoning the Lord, turning away from Paul and from the gospel. He names a couple of them. Um, and then he, he names one who was not ashamed of Paul, Paul's story, and who uh, came actually and found him out in his chains in Rome and refreshed him. So this is, the con this is what's already going on when we come to chapter 2. And so Paul says, uh, you then, my child, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You then, my child. 
What, what I think is going on here, or at least what I want us to grasp hold of in these texts, and especially 2 Timothy, is this call. I'm, I'm going to use some different phrases, see what, what you know, catches for you, but a call to generational faithfulness. Faithfulness for the next generation. That's what we see in Ruth and Naomi, and, and it's what we see with Paul and Timothy, and also faithfulness to the whole world, faithfulness beyond our tribe, our peeps. So Paul says, you then, my child, next generation, strengthen yourself or be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Note that, may come back to that. And then in verse 2, we see this next and next and next generation thing. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men and women, that's the third, who will be able to teach others also. Paul, Timothy, faithful people who will teach other people. That's four generations of this passing on, of this faithfulness. That's really, I would argue, that's the Great Commission. That's what, at the end of Matthew, when Jesus is resurrected, comes to his disciples and says, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do what I've commanded you to do. So we have Jesus, the apostles, those who they disciple, then inferred, they're going to go on and, and keep doing the same thing. Um, to whom are you, to whom am I, entrusting what has been entrusted to us? Because Paul's playing on that. Robert pointed out last week that in last week's chapter, he exhorts Timothy, guard what's been entrusted to you. Who are we passing it on to beyond ourselves, next generation, possibly different than ourselves? We have a new bishop coming in two weeks. We've talked about, we've talked about our new bishop. He's actually coming in two weeks. Robert will mention that at announcement time. And this also signals I'm res retiring, resigning from my role as the canon for ordination, like the one responsible for raising up the ordained next generation of leadership. And I'm handing it off to an incredibly gifted woman named Jessica Jones. She's a deacon um, and has, a, has like more than one doctorate and um, very, very faithful. And she has been up to this point my peer as the canon for next-gen discipleship which Taylor's been quite involved in that too. Next generation, discipleship. Even provincially in our Anglican Church in North America, she's been the canon for next generation leadership. I, I just tagged that both to you know, point out the change, but also this, this language of the heart for the next generation. Who is coming after us? I'm giving up that, but I still am passionate about helping people endure suffering, as Paul says. About helping people be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus. 
and by, which I'm not going to go to, the last verse in our text today, by helping people rightly handle the word of truth. Robert whispered to me as Kelly finished that reading, no pressure, like, I hope you rightly handle the word of truth today, Mark. Um, Yeah. So Paul goes into, we're not soldiers, athletes, farmers, um, but I want to focus as I come toward a conclusion. It's not in the next minute or two, just beware. But but this is this is like shh, now. Uh, eight to thirteen. Eight to thirteen. And again, remember this context. Paul is pouring into passionately, lovingly, concerned for this young man and for the gospel mission and the salvation and healing of the world. So he says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. I mean, in a way, that could be the, that could be the message. Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead. Descendant or offspring of David, who was the offspring of Ruth. as preached in my gospel. So arguably, like, Paul has just given us a nugget of what his gospel is. In a nutshell, the gospel is Jesus died and rose from the dead. And he is the heir of that eternal throne that was promised that one of David's children would reign from. The savior king of not just Israel, but of the whole world. This is my gospel, for which, now here again, Paul's using himself as an example to Timothy, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but God's word is not bound. Therefore, Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of God's chosen people, God's elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I endure everything for this one grand good purpose. Whatever we may be going through in life, whether specifically because of the gospel, our posture going through it reflects the gospel and is a witness and can bring us closer to Christ as well as being a witness to the world of what Jesus is like. I endure everything for the sake of this grand, good mission. Then he says, this say, or the saying is trustworthy. It's faithful. It's reliable. And then he gives the saying. We don't know exactly where it comes from. It's, obvious, it's something he assumed uh, Timothy knew about. It's four lines. Each line has a couplet and then with a tag at the end. All beginning with if. The saying is trustworthy. But Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Share in suffering. Don't be ashamed. 
endure for the sake of this great salvation. The saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. That's part of Paul's message, Romans 6. Baptism, we're united with Christ in death and we're raised to new life with him, beginning now and lasting forever. If, secondly, we endure, we will reign with him. This is echoes of Romans 8, where Paul talks about those whom God knew, uh, he called and he justified and he glorified and hang in there as his people in the midst of whatever you go through. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Brace yourself. If we deny him, he will deny us. And he's quoting Jesus there, or referring to Jesus in Matthew 10, in the great mission uh, discourse where Jesus is talking about the mission of the disciples. In the midst of that, Jesus is exhorting them to be faithful in their witness. And he does say these stark words, if you deny me, I also will deny you. And then the last line, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Verse, this last verse, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself, is difficult to understand. In fact, scholars, in fact, two of my favorite scholars, actually one was a pastor, a scholar pastor, John Stott, and the other, a professor of mine, world-renowned Pauline scholar, Gordon Fee, come to different conclusions on this. And this is one of the rare times when I'm going to not side with one of my heroes, John Stott. Um, John Stott argues with many scholars that that last line is parallel to the previous line. It's a way of saying, if we are faithless, God is faithful, and he will deny us. He will be faithful to himself, to his character, to what he said. And, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that's stupid. I mean, there's strong argument for that. Um, but I don't think, knowing the nature of 2 Timothy as a whole, of Paul's relationship with Timothy, there is another way to understand it, which um, Gordon Fee uh, does refer to. And before I go there, well, in going there, um, let's remember Peter. Because later in the same Gospel of Matthew, what did Jesus say to Peter? Before the rooster crows again, you'll deny me three times. No, 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 I never, I would never deny you. Did he remember what Jesus said, like previously? I will never deny you. He did deny him. But he also came back. He also wept bitterly and somehow hung in there, even in the midst of his denial. Judas did not. 
what I think this is pointing to is that there is a kind of denial to save our lives from which we, which we either get caught in or we never return from. And that's what Paul's talking about. Those who deny the faith. And the risk of denying the faith is that you might so harden your heart that you don't come back. But you always can. And again, knowing Paul's heart for Timothy, I do not believe that Paul's final, like when he pulls out this like trustworthy saying that the final line is not going to be like harsh and stark and basically shaming to him. It's going to be like, it's really important. It is important to be faithful. That's what he said in the beginning of the chapter, entrust this to faithful people. It is important to be faithful and believing. But guess what? I'm not always that way. I do waver in my faith. There are times when I distrust or when I'm unfaithful. No no super secrets. You can ask Brooke. She has my permission to tell you whatever. Um, But it's true. I'm not, not unfaithful to Brooke. I mean to the way that I purport to follow Jesus. Anyway, (laughs) we have that beautiful story of the man who pleads with Jesus for his son, I believe, help my unbelief. I think that Paul is nodding to Joshua here, Moses and Joshua, in Joshua 1, that when God speaks to Joshua and says, you know, Be strong and courageous. You're taking over from Moses, new generation. Be strong and courageous. I will never forsake you. When you're scared, when you fail, when you waver, I will not, I will not deny my own. I think finally... Timothy is not being called to be like Paul, to be unashamed, to be faithful, to endure suffering, to love and share with all people, with Paul or with Joshua or with Ruth. Yes, he is, but it's more than that. It's to do those things with Jesus Christ, with Jesus who was faithful, with Jesus who entered in to our suffering, became one of us, who endured, who died, who rose, and who is reigning now. This is the call of Paul to Timothy, to all who come after Timothy, to this church, to you, and to me. Be faithful. Be faithful to the next generations now. Be faithful to those not like you, to the whole world. Be faithful to the faithful one. Amen.